Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. I'm your host, as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks again for tuning in and spending some time with me. Today's guest needs no interruption. The world-famous chef, Toby Puddock. I was so lucky to spend some time with him a couple of weeks ago, and this is such an honest conversation. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. We're going to get into it right now, but I will remind you, please subscribe to the podcast. I really enjoy the feedback. Let's get into today's show. All right, welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Uh, incredible to have a great friend of mine, Toby Puddock. Uh, Toby, you've had such an incredible career, a celebrated chef, um, so many TV shows, five different books, uh, worked all over the world. Um, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. It sounds exhausting from what you just, um, <laughs> what you just said, and now I know why I feel tired, you know? <laughs> I feel tired just reading it, trust me. Um, Toby, how did you start out in your career in, in cooking? I started uh, cooking as a means to make money. So I basically got spat out of year 12. I did um, graduate VCE, which it was at the time. Yeah. Is it still VCE now? I think so. Yeah, yes. at like 51% or something like that. And wow, really? Yeah, yeah, I was never naughty at school, but yeah. I just had zero interest in school. Mm-hmm. And um, my passion was always skateboarding. And I also always hated like team sports and stuff like that yeah. and you know I grew up an only child till I was like 11 or 12 or something yeah, like that right. and so so skating really um, was everything to me because it was something I could do by myself it mm-hmm. wasn't uh, competitive unless you were you know you didn't have to be part of a team and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and so I had my own little bunch of um, friends outside of school and we just skated the whole time mm-hmm. and it was also skating is super creative and uh, I, at school, was just art subjects the whole way through yeah. and really enjoyed art. Yeah. And uh, I went to school and sat next to Matt Skinner, who's like a wow. famous wine guy, and we were both exactly the same. So he was really into surfing, I was really into skating, we are both into snowboarding. Right. And so all I wanted to do when I finished year school was uh, basically ride snowboards. Okay. And But I grew up in Melbourne and mm-hmm. I was a shit snowboarder and I was not good, but I was really passionate about it and really loved it. Same so with skating. Were you, doing, were you going to Threadbow and, and all that kind of stuff? I was racing. Victoria? So I was part of, like, even in year 12, I was part of a racing squad. Wow. And so I was going up every single weekend and I went to a private school. And yep. so a lot of the kids there, parents paid for everything, but my... My parents um, paid for my education, yes. but they didn't have the money the to then start. Stuff. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I used to work at Coles and um, save that money and go snowboarding. And wow. uh, and I just loved it, being up in the mountains and going fast. And anyway, so um, I was really passionate about it, not perhaps naturally gifted to do that. Sure. And so I just wanted to pursue that. And the weird thing was I hadn't thought what happens in the future after you finish school I was always and I, I actually am still like this where I'm yep. just locked in on the day yeah and I'm I don't think about I don't really have 10-year plans and stuff like mm-hmm. that and I'm not You're very super focused on what is now yeah I'm probably not good like that like yeah. uh so yeah. all my friends suddenly we got to the summer of love when you finish school and everyone's off you know getting drunk and mm-hmm. stuff like that and and then it got to March and all my friends are like uh oh we're going to uni now yeah and I was like shit i have not even thought about this. So uh, basically, I'm living with my parents. My dad said to me, I think you should pursue, snow- pursue snowboarding. It's what you want to do. Wow. Um, he's always been very wise and many steps ahead of me, my father. And, and so it didn't come as a surprise to you for 
you well, old man to say it did come as a surprise I thought okay. he'd be like you've got to go to uni you've got to yeah. do something and yeah. I think he knew that I was so locked on it I need to get it out of my system or I needed to work out right um, what was going to what I was going to do with this was yeah. I going to go fully in and then get spat out somewhere and anyway so basically dad said to me okay we're in Australia it's summer there's no snow yeah you need to do something. You yeah. can't, you don't want to go to school. That's fine. We're not going to push you to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but you've got to get a job. So, I went for jobs at all the surf shops and skateboard shops, and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then my godmother was a Cordon Bleu chef and, like, quite a, a, a very good cook. And she owned a restaurant in the city at that time called Delacey, which is mm-hmm. in Hardware Lane. Mm-hmm. And dad said, why don't you just get a job uh, as a dishwasher and maybe cooking? And right. the worst thing that can happen out of that is you're going to be able to cook for yourself for the rest of your life, which you can't do now. That's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, so I actually went for a job at um, Lynch's, which Mm -hmm. was in South Yarra. Yeah, I've heard that. French restaurant, Mm -hmm. very... I never went there, but I Mm -hmm. went for a job, got the job, but the job was to start in a month's time because they had an apprentice leaving. And so my parents were over the moon. So I was in a French, heading for a French. Yes. And I have French blood. I'm like French English. So it all made sense. It felt right. Um, I got an EU passport. So I sort of thought I could all, you know, go over there. Mm -hmm. And um, and then literally three days before I start the job, this is before mobile phones, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Mum and dad are like, oh, there's a phone call for you. It's Lynch's. And they're like, oh, the head chef who employed you has left. So your right. job is no longer there. So I felt like my whole life... You know, when you're young, it's yeah. like little things are big. It's yes, like... absolutely. You know, a girl breaks up with you, you're never going to be the same again <laughs> kind of thing. It's, um, so it was a bit like that. It's like, my life is over. It's I'm, over and done. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm just might as well quit now. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so then... That was really cool once again and pulled out the good food guy. I come from... Good food guide guy. I come from, um, I guess, a really creative family. Yep. My dad's a hairdresser. Mum's a makeup artist. Right. And, um, and I grew up with all their friends who were photographers and painters and wow. so always so around. incredibly creative. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm so lucky for that. So I grew up... A lot of their... You know, they, their friends own restaurants and mm. all that kind of stuff. So I grew up as a little kid mm. in restaurants a lot of yeah. the time and, yeah. and always sleeping under restaurant tables when I'm four and stuff <laughs> like that. And my parents always took me along um, to everything, which is really cool. cool. And we do the same with our daughter, Bertie. We just, we take her to every, where she starts kindergarten tomorrow and oh, it's the first wow. time she um, is taking a pack lunch. And I said to her, what do you want for a pack lunch? She said, can I have blue cheese? <laughs> and um, <laughs> no, I was like, you might, you know, yeah, you, you can. But it's like, Let's start off a bit slower. Yeah, yeah, you know, you don't want to That's freak everyone. Really cool. Anyway, really cool. so basically, um, dad, when I got this knock back with Lynch's, dad, I think saw what could happen mm-hmm. and he picked me up really quickly and mm-hmm. said, right, let's get the good food guy. Yep. This is way before cooking was cool and, yeah. and cooking was ruthless yep. and violent and yes. all that stuff. So he said, let's find you a, a half decent place to work in. So he said, I've not been to this place, but I've heard it's good. It's called Cafe Equicina. It's yeah. in Chapel Street. Mm-hmm. And then I heard mum sort of say, oh, because mum was working in very high fashion um, and traveling the world doing makeup and stuff like that. So I heard her say, Oh, the, I do the owner's wife's makeup all the time. Right. And so dad, and then I heard dad say something like, yeah, just let him do it. Let him get in there himself. Okay. So they made the call. Yes. So basically I've rocked up there in my dad's suit. Right. I, I called up and said, uh, 
you know, I, I want to come and see someone about a kitchen hand job. And right. I've like rocked up there in my dad's suit with like this fucking folder under my arm with my school reports in there. How cool. And uh, is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, it's cool. Because I don't have a resume. I think it's cool and, now, yes. Yeah, and I remember um, going to see the head chef who was super tall. He mm-hmm. ended up doing time in prison, this guy. We'll get to that <laughs> okay. a bit later. But, but one of um, the most talented chefs you ever meet. Like right. he was um, one of five pastry academy Italian pastry academy chefs I don't know, in Australia or something wow. like that. Like super, super, super good. But one of those like naturally talented right. chefs. Yes. It's just his job for him. I don't think he cared that too much for it. But he no. was... He was um, but his skill was oh, amazing. Oh, fuck. Amazing. Yeah. So anyway, so I rock up. Andrea, this dude, walks out. 6'6". Six, six, I'm yeah. tiny. And back then I'm like 50 kilos or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then I remember Morris Terzini walking around the corner. You know, wow. Morris yes. Iceberg's fame and all that yes, jazz. And of course. Morris is like, oh, I'll, I want to have a chat with this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he took me upstairs to an empty dining room. And I hadn't been in restaurants like this by myself. And so I was kind of pretty nervous. And yep. And he said, um, you know, you've called up, you know, why, why the fuck are you wearing a suit for a job <laughs> as a kitchen hand? And first of all, and I said, well, I don't, I've never been to a job interview except Coles. And this is, um, yeah, this is the way I thought it was. Yeah. Done. And yeah. I think this is the right thing to do. And anyway, so, so a big, a big turning point for me was he said, what's in the folder? This is my, my resume. And then he said, well, what do you want to do with your life? I said, no idea. And he said, well, then this isn't important. And he put it on the ground and he just said, I just want to talk to you and understand you. And yeah, so my wow. life up until that point was all about school marks and, yes. you know, how, because that's what school is, of right? Of course. And suddenly this guy didn't give a shit and he yeah. just wanted to talk to me. And so that was massive. And then he said, look, how about if you don't do a kitchen hand position, but I'll give you a food preparation assistant job. I've never heard of that job again. <laughs> food preparation assistant. Yeah, I think okay. he made it up. But... <laughs> So I started work at six o'clock the next morning. Right. Um, started drinking espresso coffee straight off yes. the bat. Never had that before. So yes. then they made me uh, spaghetti aliolo con peperoncino, you know, like yes. garlic. I got the tattoo now. Like <laughs> su- super chilly in there and stuff. Yeah. I, I like had to go and sit down out the back because I actually started hallucinating off the chili. And um, <laughs> I think they were trying to fuck me up a little bit. But, but um, anyway... The point is, I, I started working there, and I was looking around me. There's music playing. Mm-hmm. Dudes have got tats. Yeah, we're making stuff. Yes. and for the first time in my life, I actually got a pat on the back um, from my, you know, boss or whatever. Yeah, and because I never at school because I was never good, and so I was Super never good at anything. Yeah, yeah. So in one day, and this forms the basis of fifteen restaurant. Yes. This this yeah. whole thing. So yes. in one day. I've like, uh, in my first week, they're like, uh, okay, so take some of this and put it here and take some of this or let, let's take an egg yolk, for example, and put it mm. in a bowl. We're going to get um, a little bit of mustard into there. We're going to whisk that together with some balsamic vinegar and add olive oil in there. And now we have a balsamic dressing emulsification sauce. Now, this is how you clean squid. And this is all in one week. Then I learned how to clean the squid and cut it, dust it and fry it. And this is how we clean rocket. So in one week... Even one day, I think, I learned how to make a whole dish and wow. then put it up and I got a pat on the back and I was yeah. like, I feel good about this. Like, yeah. um, So I was making 200 bucks a week working with, um, you know, these crazy dudes and it was like, fuck, sign me up. I love this. It's awesome. Was, but, it, was it scary to be doing things so quickly and learning them? Was it easy for you to comprehend, understand, and retain that information so quickly? Yeah, I've, I've always been, um, still to this day, I can't 
I'm not good at reading and taking in information uh-huh. still to this day. There's, someone actually, I mentioned this, there's a word for this, this right. type of learning. But, okay. Um, I was hoping you were going to jump out. No, I wasn't. But no, someone, I can, I, I'm very much the same. So yeah. I'm really, really poor at reading. Yeah. Like show me how to do something. Yeah. I can remember it. I'm the same. And I'll, as long as I can do it probably twice, I yeah. can usually excel. Like, yeah, I'm exactly yeah. the same. So in the kitchen, it was like this. So yes. I was just... Um, I took on stuff really quickly. I think because I realised there wasn't much else for me. But so... I hated cookie. I hate like I loved the job. Yes. I loved working there. Yes. I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life for the first five years of my career. Okay. And so for the first five years of my career, all my friends are studying to do this and I went to this snobby school mm-hmm. and cooking is not cool at this stage and I felt like this is not something that's okay. Okay. Like I should go to university or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, this is something for now, uh-huh. but it's not something when yep. I'm 40. Yeah. So yeah. it was always next year I'm going to go and get into advertising or I'm going to go to uni right. and do something. Yeah. Um, but then I went to Italy. So basically when I was 21, I started cooking when I was just 18. Okay. 21, one of the guys I was working with said to me, I'm going to see my family in Italy. You should come. And I went home to my, my parents and said... Yeah, one of the dudes asked me to go over and dad was like, I'll pay for your ticket. You should go for sure. And I was like, and his dad's a smart ass like this. Like he's just known, right. he knew that if I went over there, yes. that would plant a seed. And that's when I went over there, that's when I really fell in love with cooking. And so it had nothing to do with restaurants, but it had everything to do with culture and history and why. Wow. So it was like being at someone. So I grew up um, in Australia. I don't have like like any family in Australia they're all in Europe and so I didn't grow up in an environment where um, we have a big culture in our house it's just you know my dad's English so we're like meat and veg (laughs) and all this kind of stuff but there was no big cultural cultural sort of upbringing for me so when I went over there and stayed with my friend his mum at seven in the morning is shaking me saying do you want gnocchi for dinner I'm like what the fuck (laughs) it's like seven in the morning and but I do that now. Yes. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm now in the morning. I'm like, what are we going to have for dinner? Because I need to prepare. Because yeah. it's a thing for us. Yeah, of course. So, that for me was everything. So, soon... And, and, of course, I went to the Dolomites and went snowboarding. And I met this Aussie dude over there who's a chef. And he's snowboarding. He's older than me. And I was just like... For some reason, I was a bit dim and didn't put this together. That, as a chef, mm. I can travel the world on snowboard. Yeah. And so, um, I've come back to Australia... I kept on quitting my apprenticeship and starting, quitting Why? and starting, because I just didn't enjoy it. And um, actual the actual theory, the part school, the school tape, part of it, right. yeah. And um, and I was at Box Hill, and and I was also working a lot at Cafe Cucina. Yes. So, and I was by this stage after three or four years, I'm I'm getting quite strong at yes, cooking sure. and picking things up. And yep. at this stage, after four years, I'm running the pass, and I'm. Wow. I'm a kid still, but yeah. I was I was um, I was That's in it. Serious, like that yeah. would have been, We've talked about how many covers they were doing. Before. It was busy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, it was a full-on place to work. And mm. you know, when you work somewhere for a long time, especially when you start peeling onions, you know everything because yes. you, you go up through the ranks. And yeah. um, so basically, I came back to Melbourne and I went all the way out to Box Hill mm-hmm. to, to go to TAFE one day, and mm-hmm. I think I was two weeks out from finishing, and mm-hmm. so I'd been to Italy. And I went into, we don't speak about this much because Box Hill wasn't very happy about this. Okay. But, but um, basically, I, in, in your last year of TAFE, you run a restaurant. 
so you basically you're all in the kitchen. restaurant inside the table. Yeah, yep. so and all it's full of pensioners and stuff like that. Yeah, they pay they like eleven dollars. Kind of yep. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I'm rocked out, and there's kids cooking from all sorts of different restaurants and mm-hmm. pubs and stuff like that. And basically, um, this you know chef who I, I know to this day, but he said to me, "All right, Puddock, you're in the bistro. I need you to make rissoles for three hundred. And I done like <laughs> I done like a double the day before, and wow. maybe the day before that as well. Wow. But, doing pretty good food like we're making yep. fresh pasta at this stage and stuff yeah, like that right. and and I, and then this dude's telling me I gotta make rissoles and I sort of realised then this isn't what I want yeah. and I think I said can I go for a cigarette or something or yes. I went to the toilet yeah I grabbed my stuff left went to flight centre booked a ticket back to Italy <laughs> that seriously true story true story wow went home Never told my parents I didn't finish um, TAFE. Wow. Lied to them that I was still going there. And then I had this huge pressure on me because I'd been to... That I put on myself. Yes. And, and then I um, was like, I don't need that piece of paper. But my parents wanted me to have that for security. Of and course. so at that stage, I'm like, right, I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to mm-hmm. snowboard. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to... I know people now. Sure. Because I've been working with Italians for all these years. Yeah. And I'm going to go and work in restaurants. Amazing. that are, are going to be good and um, so I did I flew to Milan and I what went what was the first restaurant you worked in well I went immediately to Lake Como to uh-huh. stay with a guy that I've been working with and, yeah. and his wife and I actually went snowboarding immediately so I went because um, I arrived in like November, October, November or something like that and I went immediately up to a little resort four hours out of Milan mm-hmm. um, called Ponte di Legno Tonale. And uh, I've had a lot of luck in my life. I like bumped, met this dude who happens to be in charge of snowboarding for the whole mountain. Yeah. And he's my age. And I had pink hair at this stage. And I was kind of used to be a bit of a punk, you know. Like, What made us all do coloured hair in our early 20s? It's a phase. It's weird, it's isn't it? It's a phase, I think the same thing. Don't I do it in your bl- 50s. It's not no, so cool. No, it's not so cool. <laughs> I had bl- I'd, like tipped blue hair for a period of time. Well, tips are getting in a whole nother level altogether. It's like once you get into tips, it's like <laughs> it's a bit serious. Yeah. Maybe that was a baking thing. I'm not quite sure. So so um so anyway, I basically end up uh, basically just snowboarding, and mm. I got to a stage where I was making a living out of snowboarding. So yeah. I ended up designing World Cup courses. What? Uh, well, I was by this stage, I'm all I'm you know I've been snowboarding yeah. a lot. And, yeah, sure. And I was racing a lot, and and um. Yeah, this guy I met who was in charge of snowboarding for the mountain. Yeah. He was also a walk-up skier, this dude. Right. We're great friends to this day, but he and I gelled hard, like mm-hmm. really got along. And sure. we're the same dude, but from different countries. Yeah. And, and he moved out from his family house and we got a pad together and just... Um, oh, cool. And yeah, it was. It was full on. So I was basically getting paid to look after a snowboard park, yeah. which 20 years ago was one of the first ones in wow. Italy for sure. And um, yeah, and and design and set up World Cup racing courses. And so I did get to a stage, I was, it sounds glamorous, but I was making like 400 bucks a month or something, isn't it? Yeah. I, I was barely getting by and I was working right. in a bar yeah. as well at that time. Anyway, sitting up in the Italian Alps, blue or pink air, whatever it was, and blue sky and I realised, right, this is awesome, probably not going to ever be the best snowboarder in the world or anything this could sure. be the ceiling for me sure and i know i can go make like a thousand bucks a week next week cooking so right. let's keep snowboarding is and but it was cool to get that out of my system so yeah. basically i went to lake como to bellagio worked in a hotel called hotel florence mm-hmm. um and it was a very small team the head chef was from michelin background but we didn't have a michelin star where i worked but mm-hmm. it was um very kind of refined local food 
and um, and I didn't realise what I was getting myself into working a season there. So in Italy, in a lot of those places, you work six months on, yep. and then you might work six, you know, have six months off. Of course, but yeah. some sickos go the whole time. So really? when, yeah, so when you work there, it's not like working normally because you work every day. Yes, double shifts, Gosh. and so we'd get one day off every two weeks. Um, and so, and on that one day off, some people would after work drive to see their families, mm. or you just sleep because. Yeah, after, after, anyway, in this place, I, uh, we had a lot of fresh pasta on the menu, and I spent one to two days a week in this room that's probably illegal to work in. It was like a <laughs> metre wide, but very five metres long with one long bench. Wow. Um, and we actually had an electric pasta machine and would just make pasta for like 12, 15 hours a day. Gosh. So I got pretty, I had a lot of practice making of pasta. Yeah. And, um after there and I fell in love with this um, nuts Italian girl we went out for a while over there and she was wanted to go to Paris to live and so we decided we'd go to Paris okay and but I came back to Australia real quick and then went over to Paris and within had you been there before? yeah, yeah. a few times okay. and um, but I sort of thought at this stage I'm in my 25 now mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. I sort of thought it would be cool to maybe do French cooking yeah. and, and let's hop into French cooking I'd done Italian for quite a lot yes I felt like I was getting okay at it um, now I feel like I've still got so much more to learn in my you know late 40s yes. even but yeah so I basically got to Paris the relationship falls apart very quickly right. and I decide to hop on a Eurostar and go to London because I have an English passport right. and, and you know we all have a million Aussie friends in London of course. So, yes. so I rocked up had a massive party that night with all these girls I knew from Australia five girls in one studio apartment and um, <laughs> I ended up Staying the night, right. woke up the next day and they're like, what are you doing? And like, what are you going to do now? Because I was supposed to be in Paris. And yeah. I said, well, I don't know. Like, yeah, I might go back to Italy. One of them's like, why don't you work in, like, London's got sick restaurants. Yeah. Got a passport. And so I went for a job at the River Cafe that day. I called them up, literally went that day and started the next day. And so what made you want to go to the River Cafe? Cause you, my, my parents, again, gave me a cookbook. Right, I'd never heard of it because that um, was that was killing it the industry, right? That was yeah much when you were there in the late nineties. That, that was the was best Italian height. restaurant yes. in the whole world. Yeah, right. And there was one Italian working there. One. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that a lot of people it was would insane. Know you. It would have been insane. So how long? I know a lot of people would know you from obviously the association with Jamie. Yeah, that came there. So when, how far in did that come? Did that come the first day that you no. were there? Or did he come later? I can't remember. I didn't work at the River Cafe that long. I was there yeah. like seven months. Wow. But, but I hated living in London. Because um, I'd been living in the Italian Alps. I skipped Switzerland, actually. I also lived in Switzerland for a while, too, cooking okay. in, in the Swiss Alps. Um, and actually, no, that was after River Cafe. But I, I'd, I'd been working in like beautiful places. Like I'd yeah. been working in the mountains in Italy. I'd been working in in Bellagio and Lake Como. It's like you don't yeah. get much more beautiful. Yeah. And then London. Yes. And it's just like dense. It's difficult. Mm. Um, you know, there's nothing to do really except mm. drink on your days off, <laughs> and because it's so expensive to do everything and. Yeah. And so, and the River Cafe was incredibly competitive. Okay. I was, I, I started working there. Every, so at the River Cafe to start with, mm-hmm. there's no apprentices. Everyone okay. has probably been a head chef somewhere before. So the level of cook is really high. 
and the whole menu changes every single shift. So to give yeah. you an idea, like we do 150 covers, for example, for lunch. Yes. You'd yes. rock in at nine o'clock in the morning. And I was pretty cocky because I'd come from Italy and I'm mm. like, you know, don't talk to me about making pasta. It's <laughs> and, so, yeah, of course. and so I'd rock in at nine o'clock and because I'd had this background, Rose, who's now passed away, yes. I had the pleasure of working with pretty much every day. And wow. she moved me up the ladder very quickly. Yeah. And so everyone in the kitchen starts, no matter how good you are, in cold ladder. Okay. So you've got 35-year-old chefs who have been running Michelin star restaurants making salads and then you, you move up as, as they, they let you. And um, so I, I whizzed through that section and then land on pasta pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. Jamie was doing also pasta at that time. Right. So he'd worked at the cafe for quite a while. And um, his first book had just been released. Right, okay. And it's funny, Darren Simpson, who came to Australia, was the head chef um, of that restaurant. Mm. And he's, he was such an amazing chef. Yeah. And um, he, everyone asked me if I knew... Darren and he'd apparently had, had left like two days before I started or something, oh, so we just kind of crossed over. Yeah. But he was incredibly talented, and then Theo took over. But Jamie wasn't famous when I met him. He he had been on TV once, right? Okay. Um, but Ben O'Donoghue, yes, really took me under his wing, and Ben and Jamie were best friends. That's right. how I kind of got into that into that circle, little, yeah, circle of. Um... I, I was getting a little, not bullied, but getting, I was getting a really hard time at the River Cafe. Because oh, I just, I rocked up. I had no interest in making friends with anybody. Or I'm quite an introvert, believe mm. it or not. I mm-hmm. like, um, don't go out much. And mm-hmm. you know, I do leave the house. But I, <laughs> I just, I, I'm not social. Mm. And um, everyone would ask me to go for drinks and stuff like that. And I, I didn't want to. It's like I would be tired so for me going and doing a shift or even when I do shows or cooking on stage I'm exhausted after because yeah. it's acting for me yeah you and put so much energy into yeah. it yeah I get very much the same yeah mm. and you fall in a hole after yeah, and um, and so I just want to go back and just be quiet yes. after work yeah. and uh, I think a lot of people took that as me not liking them or being snobby or right um, anyway and at the same time Ben who was kind of the cool guy and Jamie who's now being famous liked me yes. and um, anyway I started hanging out with them quite a lot and Ben, ben I think Ben was above Jamie and I in, mm-hmm. in the hierarchy mm-hmm. but Jamie suddenly now was going off and doing book signings in places and would call me up on the side and say could you come and give me a hand doing food so I'd go along and do that as a side thing um, was that confusing at that time? Because when when Jamie came up and when you know Ben came up, Ben was doing his, you know his TV series as well. Like, was that just a, a weird time because it was the start of this celebrity chef kind of culture that was coming through? I, I, to be honest, I didn't really think about it. Yeah, I didn't analyze it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like. Sick, this guy's going to pay me a hundred pounds for like two hours work. And yes. you know, I've normally got to work a lot more to make that. Yeah. So I'm happy for his success. And, and yeah, if he's going to uh, drag me through it, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ben started doing books as well mm-hmm. in a similar time. Mm-hmm. I think Jamie stopped at the River Cafe fairly shortly after because he just, I mean, he went from zero to hero. Big like time. in, in the first series, right? Yeah, you know how that came about. It's a pretty cool story. Because he, he got... So what, from what I've heard, he got spotted in a, in a video that they were doing about the River Cafe. Is that yeah, right? they did Christmas at the River Cafe right, or something okay. like that. And Darren Simpson was supposed to be working on a day and called a sickie. 
and then <laughs> and then Jamie, who's a good guy, yes, they call Jamie. He's like, I'll come into my day off and cook. If he comes in on his day off, and the cameras are there, and and. They're like, oh, what are you doing there? And the footage is out there. And he's mm. like, oh, I'm making a risotto and blah, mm. blah, blah. And he was just, he's great on camera immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then apparently there was like a call from every network the next day saying, I want to give this guy a show. Because there was nothing out there. All, all celebrity chefs were old. Yeah, and, was, um, yeah. You know, with the shirt under the jacket. It was very formal, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And so Jamie was a whole new thing. Mm. So you've met Jamie... You know, that's what, 99, 2000, somewhere around there. It was exactly 99, 2000. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And then you've eventually come back to Australia. So what, what led you to come back to Australia? Well, first of all, I, I want to go ride more snowboards. So okay. I um, took off to the Swiss Alps. Yes. And worked in a hotel. Funnily enough, like I, I just literally rocked up to St. Moritz in Switzerland with wanting to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking through the rain and you know there's no snow at this stage like yeah. November or something yeah. and I saw a kangaroo sign outside a hotel Okay. and I was like oh that's a sign I'm going to go in here and have a beer you yes. know, normal, in London you run away from that kind of stuff yeah because you'll be drinking Fosters or something yeah like and, and I thought I'll go in and I'm sitting there by myself and this waiter's like where up where are you from and I said I'm from Australia and this woman comes flying out of the back and she's like oh you're Australian whereabouts are you from I was like oh Melbourne I was like fuck I'm from Cario and she's like, what are you doing here? So actually, I'm looking for a job. And she's like, we own this hotel. Let's, uh, so she's an Aussie girl who went to Switzerland, um, still in great contact with these people. And, yeah. and um, she married the son of the owner of the hotel and then became, they took over. Wow. And three beautiful kids. And I ended up working for them for six months. And um, I actually got offered... I got offered this job there from the owner of the... I really got along with the owners of the hotel there and they had yeah. another little restaurant mm-hmm. and they could see that it was a struggle for me working for the head chef. That it was like very high turnover, right. rosties and sausage. And yes. I'd been doing quite refined food in London and mm-hmm. they knew the restaurant I'd been working at and mm-hmm. they knew the restaurants in Melbourne I'd been working at. So they said, well, do you want... We'll give you this restaurant here and we'll do it together. Mm. And we'll give you a little Audi and, you know, we'll do it like run the restaurant three days a week. Wow. Or four days a week, whatever. And so you, you're never going to say no to that, right? and Yeah. So, and so I still hadn't got, I mean, to this day, I haven't got snowboarding out of my system. But mm. I enrolled to do a guiding course, which is where you learn properly about avalanches. You take people to pelly skiing and all that kind of stuff. So wow. it's like pro- proper stuff. Mm. And so I was all enrolled in this. And then I um, life is set up and the phone rings one day in the kitchen. And it's a dude I worked with in Cafe Cucina saying, man, I've just signed a lease on a restaurant I really want you to come back and run the kitchen and I was kind of homesick a little bit at this stage okay. and he said I'm going to give you 25% of the business and wow. so for me it was 25% nothing <laughs> yes but um, 25% debt or whatever it was yes and so but at this stage I'm 20s and it sounds awesome okay. and I get to be back in Melbourne and um, was it a thought that you thought you needed some stability or yeah just, probably yeah I think it was a thought, Sean, where I was just like, um, it would be a stupid opportunity to pass up. Sure. Because on one hand, I'm just going to end up... I think if I had said no, I'd probably still be in Switzerland. Really? Mm. Because you enjoyed Switzerland that much? Yeah, I often think about it. Like, I mean, I have a wife who's amazing and I yeah. have a beautiful daughter, but I often think about I also would have had all, probably as much of a fulfilling life for me there. Because I was going to ask you at the start where you didn't get that job in the French kitchen. Do you think if you did, did that you would have been? No, just, my life do you think been, you'd have a love for Italian food, like you probably like not? Cooking? Yeah, 
But I got a love for Italian food from living in Italy. Yes. And I never got a love for Italian food from working in Italian restaurants anywhere in the world. It was always mm. being in Italy and having friends who are Italian and being at their house and being part of their tradition and let's and uh, like for example, the girl, uh, my girlfriend in Italy, she was a bit of a nutcase, but her whole family, like I used to hang out with her uncle and go shooting venison and then making salami and stuff like that with him. And so that's, it's those um, traditions, the cultures, the rituals yes. that got me really passionate about Italian food. Was that, was that hard for you to comprehend at the start? Because I know in my, in my late teens, early 20s, I dated an Italian girl as well. And that was really hard for me to comprehend the big family dinners and, and, and that community part. Like that was coming from a, coming from an only child. It's terrifying. Yeah. So what made you, no, 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 no. I'm youngest of three. Ah, Okay. Yeah. Right. But (laughs) I heard your voice go down. Um, (laughs) but what, like that would have been just such a massive change for you. Like it must've been, it must've been like a warm hug after you sort of got used to it. I think it was. And, and, um, I think I always really loved, and to this day, I always felt very much at home. Like, I feel more at home in Italy than I do here. And mm. I feel always at home with Italians um, because I think it's because of their. How, how do you. It's, it, what is it? Their warm nature and it's, they're very giving I've, and loving. And, I've never. And they're going to hit you all in the same sentence. It and, is. It's, it's yeah. really interesting. It's just. It's pure passion. Yeah. And I've, and I've been lucky to work for people who are Italian and. and and, and being around Italians as well in and out of my life and it, it is a difference like yeah. it's, it's not like other people in Europe yeah. it's, it's really quite unique yeah which is really cool but anyway so, so basically I said to this dude he's mm. on the phone are you going to come back yes they give me 24 hours and I called my mum and mum's like please you know that'd be great this is, <laughs> this is pre-FaceTime and all that kind of stuff yeah, so it's like seen their only son, right? yeah. yeah and so you're um, I, have a, I have, have a sister now but she's mm-hmm. 10 years younger than I am Mm-hmm. And um, I've got an adopted sister from Korea who oh, now right. lives mm-hmm. in Ohio in a tiny town, married to a dude she met online gaming, who's like the nicest that's guy right. you've ever met. It's pretty crazy. Cool she's got a kid and yeah. it's awesome. But yeah. um, I was worried she's going to get sold for body parts initially. <laughs> but anyway, so I called the dude and I'm like, right, I'll come back, but you've got to buy me a ticket. And sure. so, because I don't have any money. Yes. <laughs> so, never have, never had any money. Yes. So. It's funny with me, um, I was talking to somebody recently about this. I never used to ask how much I'd get paid, ever. Really? Ever. I Why? Because I, I was never in it for money. I was just always would pick a place. Yes. And just be like, I want to work here and this is these are the people I want to work with. And money was never in... I always struggled. Yes. A bit dumb. Never asked like how much I would earn, but it was just always... I would always get paid well because yes. I, I would go in and work. But money was never a driver for me and still isn't to this day. Is there ever a job that you've gone for other than the French restaurant at the start that you didn't get? No. Mm. That's cool. I don't think so. Mm. No. Yeah. So it's just purely based on trust because you were always getting what you wanted at that point in time. Yeah. But Mm. I also haven't... I haven't been for a a job, I'm going to say, for 20 years. Yeah. Like, because I just get asked, yeah. you know, I'm kind of nice. Pretty nice thing. Sometimes it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people call you up and say, come and work here and it's not, not your nice. cup of tea. Yeah, it's a, that, that's happened a few times too, but yeah, sure. that, that's cool. Not every job's for everybody. And mm-hmm. um, so basically, brother, I came back and 
and I'm working with these guys I've worked with before. Sure. And there was a lot of partying going on. Mm-hmm. And we opened this tiny Italian restaurant and I said, um, you know, I want to do all this stuff. I was learning at the River Cafe and this mm. is what I'm interested in. And my business partner had no interest in that. He wanted me to replicate the menu from Cafe Cucina, pretty much. Why? Because that Because that, what... that's what he knew. Right. And, um, okay. and I was also doing stuff that wasn't familiar to him and he just found it unnecessary yep. and stupid. Like, why do you want to make all the pasta from scratch? And I was like, because I love it and that's what I want to, I enjoy yeah, doing it. And taste to it. No one, he's like, no one gives a shit and so <laughs> let's just get dried briller and it's just fine. And well. Anyway, so look, basically I got to a stage with that place where it was pretty hard. I was working a lot. Mm. I was doing doubles and mm. sometimes I'd come into the restaurant at 7.30 the next morning to start a double and they would be in the restaurant partying still. Wow. And so at that stage, I was like, nah, I'm out of here. So I basically was feeling very, very kicked in the face about the the industry. I passed up what felt like a perfect life for me in Switzerland to come back and do this and it was shit. And so I got out of there and I also felt bad to them because they had all these hopes on me and I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to get, I didn't want to do what they want to do. Like I wanted to cook, I wanted to do good stuff. Yep. I didn't want to work more than I needed to do because of, you know, the way they were running the business, and it, it was just like a big social kind of thing at that restaurant. Yeah, and, I understand. You know, a lot of nose beers going on and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and so you were just past that time. Yeah. So mm. basically, <laughs> I quit. And I went to a friend who yep. actually was working for me at the restaurant as a waiter and he left and he opened a tiny crepery in Santa Lane in the city and it was as big as this table pretty much. Yep. And I washed dishes. He was like, I want you to, um, you know, come make crepes. It's like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just right. want to like hang down the back, wash dishes yep. and, and go. And yep. so I was living with friends and then I went and lived back with my parents and I met my now wife in that crepery. No way. Yeah, so Hell. she, well, a friend popped in there one day who I'd known when I was 16, and she was like, Toby, what are you doing here? It was a very cool, trendy place. And, right, okay. And, um, and you know, play cool world music and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, know, you know the place. Yes. And uh, she popped in. I hadn't seen her since I was like 15 or 16. And, yeah. And then she came back a couple hours later with Georgia. They're working together. Wow. And she went back and said, I've seen this incredibly hot guy, you know, like I... I've seen this guy I used to work with. I'm just joking. You can't see my face. But yeah, I've seen this guy I used to work with. And, you know, you guys probably get along. And we did. So we wow. started going out very quickly. Yeah. And, but this is crazy. Two weeks later, like literally two weeks after we started going out, I get a phone call from Matt Skinner. And I'd introduced... I'd come back... I'm skipping stuff here. But I'd yes. come back to Australia mm-hmm. knowing Jamie. And Jamie now is big. And yes. so he's come out and Australians now know who Jamie Oliver is. Mm-hmm. And I introduced Matt Skinner to Jamie Oliver at dinner. Wow. And Jamie loved Matt because Matt um, is a, got a really, don't get upset, Matt, very perverted sense of humour. He's, <laughs> he's, he's the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Yes. And Jamie loves to laugh. And basically, um, Matt and I are a good team. One's food, one's wine. And Jamie, Matt called me up. He's like, dude, Jamie's here. He's like wants us like I don't want to tell you but he wants us to go work in London and open this restaurant and so I called Jay and Georgia met me as a kitchen hand and um, I'm like oh we're going to go meet Jamie Oliver now and and he wants to ask me something so 
Jamie, typical Jamie, sits there with this girlfriend I've had for two weeks and says, do you guys want to come and live in London? And I was like, dude, we're like pretty early in New Zealand. And, um, but we kind of looked at each other and it felt right. And yeah. I said, look, come over. Worst comes to the worst. Mm. Just, you know. Go home. Go home, mm. yeah. Or stay, whatever. Yeah. Um, so as always with these things, we thought it was going to London in a week. It was a year. So mm. a year later. And wow. we, the conversation was that we would do a restaurant with purpose. So it was a restaurant that would give opportunities to kids between the age of 16, 24 out of long-term employment or education and um, give them something, well, give, give it what, give these people what cooking gave Jamie and myself, like an opportunity to make a career yeah. um, without school marks and stuff like yeah. that. So trying to give a legacy there. Yeah. And so I thought going and giving kids knives who are out of prison is an awesome idea. And we started <laughs> off with, it was going to be a 40-seater restaurant with no TV show. We right. opened a year later, 150-seater restaurant Ooh. with a TV show wow. and a charity attached and wow. a six-month waiting list immediately. Wow. And um, it was insane. And I, the idea I had was that what I was told or what I was believing yes. was that I was going to go in as a sous chef uh-huh. with Jamie and uh-huh. we're going to run this place together okay. kind of thing. Jay was suddenly busy with his commitments with TV yeah, and everything. And I suddenly was executive chef by default. Wow. And I'd never done anything like this before. Yeah. And I was really in the shit. Yeah. Like, um, Just way yeah. out of your depth. Oh, man. Bad. Who did you lean on during that time? Um, there was another guy who was a sous chef as well, Eamon, mm-hmm. who was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Gennaro yeah. was there. So Gennaro was floating around a lot. Okay. But there was a guy, Pete, who I leaned on. So, and I haven't actually ever thought of that question, but Pete was our boss at the River Cafe. He was quite high up. He's a few years older than us and they call mm-hmm. him the Oracle now. He like, okay. he's head of food for Jamie. Mm. So he's been working for Jamie. Jamie's taken about four or five people from the River Cafe, probably myself included. Yep. Ben O'Donoghue and we've just kind of stayed in the... The circle of the, trust. The right? circle of trust, I guess. <laughs> and we duck in and duck out over the years. Yeah, and that's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's a good position to be in. Mm. But um, yeah, so basically Pete Beggs, who is older than me, he wasn't in the kitchen, but he's a recipe developer. So a lot of the recipes you see in Jamie's books and stuff like that, um, Pete's had something to do with that. So for those of you, Jamie doesn't actually write every single recipe published in, you know, all 30 magazines daily (laughs) across the world. So he he does need help. Um, (laughs) But he does look over everything, come up with all the ideas still. So so Pete was pretty cool to lean on with that. So, so why did it go from a 40-seat concept to a 150-seat concept? Because idiots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was the space. They right. found they found a cool space that yeah. they kind of thought this could be really awesome. And Jamie, like a lot of people, gets ideas, gets motiv- motivation, inspiration, um, and excited from people. Like he'll meet right. somebody and he's like, that person's awesome. Yes. We should do something with that person. Yes. And so I think he met a barman who was like mm-hmm. been working in New York, making, you know, swanky cocktails and stuff mm-hmm. for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. This guy was like, could sell ice to the Eskimos. Is, I, don't, I never saw him walk. He kind of glided along this big black dude, like 6'4", and <laughs> um, really cool guy. And he knew every, like every celebrity he knew. And yeah. um, so he, he kind of opened this cocktail floor, this cocktail bar on the ground floor, on the okay. ground floor yes. and the restaurant was underneath. Wow. And um, yeah, he pulled a whole lot of people from the river calf and stuff in, and we were just—we'd never done anything like that, so it was pretty hard. What was the, what was the hardest thing during that time? Was it, was it consistently pumping out 
great quality food with TV cameras there or was it working with and guiding and mentoring people who were the hard, probably the hardest to, you know, in the industry at that point. I think, I think the, indust- the great thing about hospitality and why I stay in it is because I feel like a lot of people who wouldn't get a chance normally in society do. Yeah. And hospitality being hospitable gives people that warm and hug time. most yeah. of the time yeah. um, that allows people to feel like they're part of a team or part of a community or part of a belonging in some way. Like, but you would have been dealing with people who had drug addiction and, and would have been sexually abused and different things like that. Like, We've all worked with those people in the industry anyway. But, yeah, but, but, but on, the, on mass, right? The, these kids from particularly... Um, look, in answer to your question, it was all hard. Yeah. It was all hard. Like, I'd never... Okay, so for starters, we thought it would be a good idea to do it. We did the River Cafe and changed the menu every shift <laughs> just, to make, just to make things just a little make harder. Things a yeah, so yeah. we did that. Wow. Um, but we had a really strong team to start with. We're all really young. We're all in our mid twenties, mm. um, and a lot of the people straight out of the river calf, like the top section, straight out of the river calf. And then we had some incredibly talented people, like coming from overseas, wanting to work. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially one guy from Canada, Derek, mm-hmm. um, was he's a bit of an asshole, but just like amazing. I mean, in a lovely way, but yes. sort of. But mm-hmm. ama- probably one of the most talented chefs I've ever seen in my life. Like he rocked in and started doing stuff. I like preserving and curing and all this kind of stuff light years before it was cool yeah. and he just really knew what he was doing and, and I learned a lot working with that team mm-hmm. but the whole um, working with the young people was very challenging we had no training whatsoever I would later speak to a therapist who would just tell me you guys are nuts <laughs> like because I after I closed 15 Melbourne I had to process a lot of stuff I had so much yeah. going on so I went yeah. and got some help with working through a lot of this stuff as you should yeah, and they were just like, man, you need to write a book about this. This is crazy <laughs> what you guys like. Opening a restaurant with these kids and you've had no training. Yeah. Like, for you to deal with it. Yes. So you've just highlighted the fact that, obviously, you're in, you're in London for a year doing 15 in London. A couple of years over there, yeah. A couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And then, you've, and then you've obviously been through that time, which has been, obviously, rewarding, challenging, um, heartbreaking. And then you come back to Melbourne and you've done it again. In I think in Melbourne, right? I think um, I kind of skipped over one one thing where I got to with cooking was that I loved cooking. Yes. But by the time I got to twenty five, I've learned a couple of languages now. Yep. I, you know, got kind of to where I wanted to get to yes. with cooking as a level. Yep. And I was pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for the next thing. Mm. And so, so when I was washing dishes at my friend's creperie when I yeah. met Georgia, I was. Um, really questioning my future with hospitality because right. I was like I'd look at my old head chefs who are in their 60s or and they're looking incredibly stressed they're not happy yes and you could see that yeah and so I didn't want to be like that so yeah. I started looking for an exit or a way mm. out what's next for me so working with these young people um gave cooking a purpose for me rather than just giving people high cholesterol yeah so it's true. Yeah, and, um, it's very true. So that was really attractive to me. So when I decided to leave London, Jamie really wanted to set me up in a restaurant back here, okay. which he would fund, and I really wanted to do a 15 mm. because of what it gave to me yes. and also to the other people. Mm. And um, he really tried to talk me out of it, and he still tells me to this day, and I was quite insistent that I... I they gave me the blessing to do that. So I came back to Australia. I was 30 
with a blessing to do it and nothing else. Right. Um, it's pretty cool to have yeah. that. So uh, no one else had it. No. And so, of course, you start to get all these wanky investors jumping all over you who want to get involved with it and align themselves with celebrity. And um, I partnered with a guy I thought was pretty cool and um, turned out he's okay, but he wasn't the right business partner yeah. for that. And uh, he was in also, as it turns out, probably in it for celebrity. Yeah. And that yeah. rock star fame that was happening with celebrity chefs. So yeah. Mm. It's one to be loved. <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting, right? I don't get I've, it. I've got, I don't get it either, but I've got, an, I think because we've been in hospitality for such a long time, Tobes, but like, I've got this analogy that almost guys who, especially guys who invest in restaurants or venues will do it together in groups of threes and fours. And they're often from finance, or they're often from out. They're always they're dentists, from outside the they, industry, yep. and they have this thought that they want to do it because it's cool, mm. and they don't realise how tough it is. Yeah, you know, in their minds, they're sitting outside the restaurant, super yes. popular because Absolutely. they everyone loves them because they're the owner of this restaurant. Yeah. In reality. They're dealing with broken dishwashers, mm-hmm. theft. Yes. <laughs> yes. So drug addiction. Yeah, drug addiction. A lot of different yeah. things. Mm. So it was, um, yeah, we opened 15 here in 2006. So yep. basically, it's, I, I never think about this. It's pretty cool. In a year and a half, I pulled together and taught myself how to open a charity. So wow. I opened a charity. I got this guy, um, I won't name him, the business partner on board. Yeah. Uh, he was actually worked his balls off like he did a lot he was who was really cool mm-hmm. in, in setting that up and he had his own team um, he was a property developer and he threw wow. his team who were really skilled and some yeah. good people there to sort of help pull all this together because yeah. you know it's not setting up a restaurant mm-hmm. you're setting up a restaurant but you're setting up a charity yes and a freaking TV show of Jamie Oliver in it that's going to be running four and a half million strong audience every Thursday night so it was a big Three massive snowballs all moving, and um, it's a lot of pressure, Toby. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure, Sean. <laughs> it's, um, it was a really big thing to do, mm. and it was pretty crazy because I I had kind of um, I guess I got famous pretty quickly out of that, and because suddenly I was on this show, and yeah, you know Jamie's like, I trust this guy to do yes. this, and yeah. Um, but we ran that, we ran the sh- the program here for six years and so for the first three years it was really quite easy because we had a lot of money right because we had fame from the media there was yep. a lot of um people who wanted to be aligned mm-hmm. but it was kind of taught me a lot about life about how hard it became to get money when there wasn't media surrounding you that's interesting yeah so all the big companies wanted to be seen on television, television and everything to be giving but as right. soon as there wasn't that, they didn't want to give. So, so these big it's companies, quite sad, isn't it, really? it's really shit. It's like, yeah, we'll give you five hundred thousand dollars, and and the politicians wanted to be seen there giving us money with a, a photo, of course, yeah, in the paper. Course, yeah. But as soon as there wasn't that opportunity, it became really difficult. So, look, the business got plagued with problems, mm-hmm. um, way beyond that like mm-hmm. I had amazing people working there over the years, and yeah. a lot of them I'm still very close with, and we taught like. I don't know, probably 150 kids through the program in that time. And I know that we saved some people's lives, like we truly did. And some of the kids um, I've taught have gone to work in Michelin star restaurants um, all over the world. And like one of the guys, Tim, who I taught in the UK, has opened 
fucking amazing restaurants in London. Like one of them, I think it's got a Michelin star, and yeah. he's got like three or four restaurants, and so wow. that feels good. It that does, feels, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels awesome. During that's the most. During that's the most humbling thing about the industry for you is the fact that you see someone who, like, whether you've trained them in your twenties or your thirties or your forties, like they were fifteen or sixteen, and they've come through the ranks and and they go on to do great things and you know you shape them for a different it's life. Like, yeah, I don't think about it. And then like you see these people no. and they really want to show you what they've done. It's really interesting, isn't and, it? Yeah, it's it's really humbling. It's really humbling. I don't often think about it until like 10 years after the fact and I'll get contacted by them randomly mm. or you get a phone call. It's crazy. You know? We we had when we were running 15, so we started getting this... Um, I'm not going to go into this too much because mm. oh, oh, it's stressful. But we um, had... Suru's smell coming to the restaurant. Yes. That took us four years to work it out. Yeah. Four years. It's yeah. insane. And mm-hmm. so Suru's smell comes into a pretty good restaurant on a Saturday night. You just hear forks drop and you can't really mm. charge people. Yes. Um, so that was a huge problem. Mm. We had a guy who to this day I'll maintain was a really nice guy. Um, seeing he was the general manager, was stealing. Right. But small amounts at a time. Right. Gambling. Right. And um, he had a problem, I think, with alcohol and maybe drugs as well. Yeah, right. But... He burnt the office down because we basically clued onto the fact there was money. What do they call it when they they take money and then put it back in like two days oh, later? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, like he'd take five hundred, probably lose it, but then pick it up a yeah, couple of nights and yeah. then backfill it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, nice. the accountant, we had caught onto something. She was mm. like, "Toby, we're going to talk to you." about something and it's to do with money and we need the GM there and I called him up and funnily enough he said oh yeah I'll be there I'll be there and then I got a phone call one minute before the meeting I'm like where are you he's like I've had to go home back pain that night I get a phone call from one of the barmen saying there's a fire I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, where? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, well, you do know. Like, is it, <laughs> yes. is it in front you of you? You told me this yeah. Is yes. it in front of you? Is it like, where is it? And he's like, it's in the office, which was 200 metres down the road. ACDC Lane with Cherry Bar underneath it. Wow. Um, and then I called the GM and I'm like, where are you, dude? There's a fire. He's like, I'm at home and I've been at home all night. I was like, okay. Oh, that sounds very... Yeah. I don't know if he said that, but it's very, <laughs> I'm, painting, I'm painting in pictures. So okay. anyway, I'm there. Half of the city is bloody blocked off. Wow. It's, it's serious shit. And um, it's like something out of a movie. Yeah. And I'm there and I stayed there till like five in the morning or something. Went home, got a couple of hours sleep. Yeah. And the restaurant ran successfully that night. That was okay. Um, but the, this, this general manager's there. And the next morning I rock into the restaurant and um, there's cops everywhere. Detectives are now cruising around. Yeah. and. And they're all talking to people, and I felt really left out. I didn't know what was going on. Mm. And then a guy came and said, um, I need to see you. And he took me down the road to 101 Collins into this room that was like, I didn't know existed, but it was this it was this security central hub for 101 Collins. And there's, I'm probably going to exaggerate, I mean, there's like 50 screens mm-hmm. around. And I saw out the window, he's got the director of the charity standing outside, but we couldn't talk. And, but they've got him by himself and he was a lovely guy and they're like who's that on that screen there mm. and then surely enough you can see they've caught on 101 Collins cameras somebody going into the building where the fire's come from wow. time stamped five minutes before the fire got reported wow. or ten minutes before whatever and, yeah. and it's the GM wow. and you know when you know someone well yes. like you don't need to see their face you can tell by the way they move yeah. And, yeah. and they're like okay and then they shoved me in a car 
and took me to a cop station for eight hours and put me in a small room and I was just getting questioned like crazy. And no one knew where I was. And then I got spat out and I put my phone on and they were just asking me about this Kevin guy and, and about the business, you know, was it going well, all sorts of stuff. And I just spat out like eight hours later and it's like dark and I've just turned my phone on like, you know, 80 missed calls or something yeah. crazy and yeah. my wife worried. Of and, course. And um, like, you know, there's a fire and then I'm not contactable. Like, yes. I do it. And, <laughs> exactly. And, um, What's going on? Yeah. And then it was this dude. And so he, wow. he did it. And you know, the weird thing, dude, was like during the day before, just like literally 10 minutes before I got taken into that room, I think I, was, I used to smoke. I was having a cigarette with him. And I remember him taking a call from his mum and he was cool as a cucumber. And he's like wow. saying, oh, there was a fire, you know. And I remember him talking to his mum, having a, the same way I talked to my mum. Like yes. I love my mum and having yeah. a really good chat with her. And, and then that night he's in prison. So <laughs> basically he had been stealing. Right. We started closing in on him and he lit a fire in a building with about 50 people in a bar below to cover up 20 grand's worth of debt. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was just like, he's fucked his whole life up. Yes. I just wish he came to us and said, I screwed I've, up. I've got a problem. I've done this mm. and we would have helped him. Yeah. Like, we really would have helped. He would have lost his job, of course, but we yeah, would have worked out. 20 grand. Yeah. And so he ended up doing about five or six years in prison. Shit. Wow. So... <laughs> So 15 winds up. Um, yeah, so we... Oh, look, I got to a point where I was burnt. Yeah. I was like, um, it was just too hard, Sean. So um, I got to a point where the business partner and I, you know, we're, mm. we're, we're, we were working through stuff, but there was just more and more problems as we spoke about. It was just, yeah, just more I, little stuff coming up. I think through maturity and wisdom, you start to realise you get to a stage with anything yeah. where there's too much compromises, too many compromises with your own self yeah. and and um they need to be able to know when to step away from the vehicle mm-hmm. i think karen martini actually pulled me aside at one stage who's really? been a good friend said mate you gotta step away from the vehicle yeah. and i actually um luckily enough my wife has i get along with her dad incredibly well yep. her sister's a lawyer there's lawyers and judges and stuff in her family and they just they were like because i i sometimes don't give up and yes. I just keep going yeah. and it'll kill me and yes. I'll just keep going and yeah. keep going, keep going. Yeah. And so I was lucky that I got a tap on the shoulder and just said, man, you got to step away from the vehicle now. Mm. How hard was that for you? Obviously really hard. Really like, like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole life mm. because the business was kind of running, but the second I pulled away, it was not running anymore. Like mm. the, the other investor wasn't, um, he, he's not hands on. So without me, he's just going to close it. So suddenly sure. everyone was out of a job. Sure. How'd you regroup after that? What'd you do next? With myself? Mm. Um, I took, look, at this stage of my life, and I guess I, I've been very blessed that I've had um, quite a strong media career, and with the media career comes a lot of other business opportunities. Of course. So I've been lucky enough, and to this day, that I make a living off that. Mm. And... Um, so I still kept doing these opportunities, but I actually didn't go outside much for about a year. I, right. I was scared mm. because there were creditors that were, were owed and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. And um, I wanted <coughs> to pay them all, but the advice I was getting was that you can't pay anyone because it's preferential payment. If you pay one person, you've got to pay everyone. Pay everyone. Mm. So I was just feeling very shit, mm. probably depressed mm. for, for a while. Yep. And um, I didn't want to go out of the house. So I went out 
to a supermarket once and bumped into a wine supplier and he's just like, what's happening, man? And I was like, you know, because but look, what happened with the closure of the restaurant? I had a friend of mine who was going to buy it and he okay. was going to buy, and I haven't spoken about this before, but he, he was going to buy the restaurant for an amount of money that would have cleared out all the creditors and everything. Okay. And I went to my business partner with that and yep. he wanted more. And Ooh, so he okay. wanted like triple or quadruple what was being offered. So wow. he wanted to profit. Right. from the sale of a closed business which would never happen yeah and so I basically um, and that's when every my family was really like you've got mm. to step away from mm. it because you never sign, right? yeah and so that really got me mm. was that I couldn't do anything because mm. I was a co-director with this guy yes but I couldn't make that decision on his behalf we both had to agree to do that yeah of course so so we could have we could have cleared everybody out but it was kind of out of my hands a bit I understand where that comes from mm. yeah um, so you've met this, you've met this wine supplier, you've, at, at the supermarket. And I was with my wife and cruising through a supermarket and he's like, Hey, uh, and like, he's a lovely Italian guy and yeah, he's yeah, owed yeah. money and he was kind of like, what are we, <coughs> what's happening? And I just, I had to say to him, look, you got to call this dude. It's out mm. of my hands. Mm. Like I've, I found a solution. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm helpless. Mm-hmm. But these people also seeing me on TV at the same time thinking, why the fuck don't you pay us? It's kind of what Georgie Columbaris is going through. I was going to ask you about that. What you thought about that. I mean, I was lucky enough to work with Maid for three months. Yeah. <laughs> it's a short period of time. Yeah. And it didn't allow me to know George very well, but I met George uh, two or three times. Another time after, after, I, left, um, after I left Maid. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he is... Uh, oh, this heavy talk's got a, well, a little bit... There's many more wine. Um, He's he's an exceptional character. And, oh, he's, and, and he's insane. He's got so much fire. And it's, what what's annoying me at the moment in the industry is that the celebrity chefs and I call them celebrated chefs as they should be, are creative, like we've talked about at the start of this podcast, often don't have the financial acumen. Because they are so creative and wanna belong and trust people they therefore trust people who come in and offer them the, the platform the their platform creativity, yeah. the money yeah the property all but, that kind of stuff but this is across many careers like it's the same with artists yes. when they they get a gallery representing them or something like this they often get screwed yes and it's um i guess what happened to has happened to george is what happened to me but mm. on on it's obviously bigger with george mm. i i'm um yeah i'm well, I've been friends with George. We were on Ray Steady Cook like yeah. 20 years ago or something. I was going to ask you about that. Me, was Gary, that an incredible Manu, time. Like. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> we were all young and just yeah. like to be doing TV and stuff. And um, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. It was like Manu, Gary, George, me. Yep. Um, I don't know who else, but yeah. I remember, was, I remember watching those shows and loving it. And I it was good fun. I remember being a baker in that time and, and just being excited mm. by you guys putting up such cool food in such a short period of time. We had such a ball doing it because we we're all working in restaurants and we'd yeah. come up there and just do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think I initially got set up with that show because I was getting groomed to do the 15 TV show. Right. I hadn't done much TV. Uh-huh. And so the head of the production company that was going to be making the 15 TV show wanted to get me you know, camera savvy. And so he started, because of the 10 connections, yes. we were on 10 as well, yep. started getting me on all those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, look, George, I just feel really sorry for what he's going through. I don't think it's all his... I don't, I'm don't. i not going to comment too much because I don't know mm. him, but I just... 
he's been witch hunted. Yes. And and I don't he's being held personally accountable, which is a director, I get it. You know, he should know this, but what you said is absolutely right, where creatives do meet people all the time who are like, I'll handle all the business side and you do what you do well. You do the menu planning. And you you do, shit. you mm-hmm. be you. And, mm. and it happens to all of us all the time. Mm. And then you get fucked. Yep. Because you don't know what's going on. I actually remember Miguel saying to me, it's happened to Miguel as well. Yeah. Miguel's one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet in your life. Yeah, and um, he's, he's a big sweetheart. Like he really is. And mm-hmm. so thankful for where he is. No arrogance or anything. And I remember... Um, yeah, him him saying to me like, "Oh man," because he he's had failures, like yes. big restaurant failures. Yeah. And he's just like, "Oh man," from now on, I've just got to go to every meeting, and if I don't understand something, I will employ you know I'll just sit there and ask as many questions as I need to, or employ somebody or do whatever until I actually understand. Mm. Um, but when you're running, what is it, between two restaurants, things are moving quickly, big time, especially if they're in different states like they were at one point. So yeah. I think George's original business partners, many of who I know, mm. I think um, he entrusted them to... Big time. And then Radic inherited that problem. Mm. Anyway, I don't really know those guys, but I just... Look, I think um, Australia's got huge tall poppy syndrome, and I think we all love to have heroes, and they love to see the heroes go down. Absolutely. They love but, to, um, yeah, they love to herald them at the top, but they equally love to see them at the bottom. Do you, do I mean, yeah, texting Georgie pretty much every day at the moment. Yeah. I don't hardly get a response but yeah. just to know he's got people around him yeah. that are there to talk if yeah. he needs to is really important oh he's yeah I don't I don't envy what he's going through for a second are you, are you concerned what that's going to do for the industry because I feel like it's at a real tipping point where what <clears throat> and I'm not saying this is correct but what we grew up doing in the industry was working doubles for normal normal pay or low pay in order because we knew it was going to get us somewhere. We're now living in an industry which has incredibly high rents. Um, a lot of people want to take money along the way. Mm. Um, food's obviously becoming more and more expensive, as it should. Well, And also, to that point, through mm. TV, people mm-hmm. want better food as well. 100%. They're more educated. Mm. Or they, they think they are more educated. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but... I'm, but the price of menus hasn't really hasn't gone, gone up, up no. right in the last ten to fifteen years. So it's got to come at a tipping point where restaurants don't work anymore. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So so what do you think is going to happen to the whole the whole ethos of, of restaurants and supply chain? Well, I think I I don't know, Sean, but I think we are going to get to a stage. I did a consultancy last year. Mm. Um, for a group of restaurants in Morty Alec. They're, right. they're really successful. Yep. And all local yep. customers yep. love what those guys are doing. But mm-hmm. I met with them the other day just because I catch up with them because they're good sure. dudes. And yeah. they're like, we don't know how to make this work anymore. We've got 50% uh, wage cost. Wage cost. Mm-hmm. Then food and there's another, what, 20, 25 if, if you're good. Yep. Doesn't leave you much to play with nope. for utilities and rent. No. How do you make that work? Yeah every single day and especially with a uh, you know an increasing saturation of venues in every single capital city it's it's really really tough mm. I don't know what the answer to that one is no I don't, I don't really know how it can survive mm. neither do I because I've talked about it I've, I've asked pretty much the same question Adriana Zumbo as well when I had him on the podcast and 
and he thought maybe there should be capping out of licenses and stuff like that. I think it's going to almost have to get to that point. But it's going to be very interesting where the, where the industry goes in the next 10 years for sure. Well, you've got all these people who love to knife all these chefs. Yes. They love to knife everybody. Yeah, mm. They also are the same people that go out to all these restaurants. Absolutely. And maybe they're not going to have restaurants to go to soon. I don't really know what the answer is there, but maybe I would never open another restaurant again, ever, for that reason. It's too hard. Would you open any kind of concept? Would you do like a small bar concept that was like 20 seats and so I saw food and stuff like that? I saw, I've always had um, this kind of fantasy to open, because I specialise in fresh pasta, to yes. open a fresh pasta bar. Of and um, high quality, all takeaway pretty much and so I found a spot in the city the other day the rent was about 60k a year okay you need to be an owner operator to make it work right and then I worked out I could probably pull working full time with a friend a yes. grand out a week if we're lucky wow the 40 I mean you know 40 50 hours a week yeah pull a grand mm. it was a small place though like sure. it was you know sure, sure, two sure. three people working there mm. but then you get to this level where suddenly if you've got 30 or 40 staff you now need HR, you need all these facilities to um to make everything to, work yeah, legally. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty insane. Never had that when I started. No, neither did I. I kind of liked it that way. <laughs> did you? It just felt a bit easier. Look, I, I got. But I didn't feel like there's this level of distrust. I feel like there's this growing level now of distrust in the industry. It's media, isn't it? Building yeah, fear, big time. Yeah, not a fan of it. But as big... I said before, like I never used to ask how much money I used to get. I was no. earning. It was just. I'm going to come to you and work and you will do the right thing by me. Didn't always work out. No. I just think, I think it's a, I think it's a, a small number of bad people in the industry as there are in any industry that make it, make it a, a bad reputation. And like, mm. we haven't known each other a long time. We've known each other a couple of months. Yeah. But I feel like we have a high level of trust pretty, pretty confidently, right? Pretty quickly. Probably similar, similar schools. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so, but, but also the industry has, um, is media driven these days as well. Like I remember, you know how I said before how I never, I always of course got asked, got told how much I would make, but it was never a driving thing for me. Like yes. I would never not do a job yes. because the money wasn't good. Yes. Because it wasn't important to me. Yeah. What I find funny these days is um, I was talking to a chef the other day, this guy, he's probably in his 20s and he was like, Oh, I'm thinking about going to Europe to work. I said, you should definitely do that. He's mm. like, oh, I might go and like, try and get a job at Noma. I said, that could be cool. But like, I remember when I was running um, 15 here and I'd get these kids and they'd come, they'd be like, oh, I've been working for Gordon Ramsay and they've got a fucking full-blown English accent. And I'm like, oh, how long have you been working in London for? They're like, oh, I did a stars for six months. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, you, you sound more British than the Queen. And, um, and you get these kids and you look at their resumes and they've gone, Jamie Oliver, Marco Pierre White, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. And they're all, it's the show bag. Yeah. And so I would much rather get somebody who's worked at a good restaurant yes. for six years. Yes. And they've, and they've like really done their time. Mm-hmm. And they've got a good attitude and no ego. And then you can work with them mm-hmm. and, and, and mould them into what you need. But you get these, I find a lot of the, through media and TV shows and all this kind of stuff. And these people who just go reference working and that was strong in the river cafe as well they go reference working mm. they they do the minimal amount of work to get the piece of paper right and then they take off right and then go to the next place so on paper they look sick they look really good mm-hmm. but 
I think you need to work somewhere for two years, like to have a proper understanding of what it is. Mm. I only did seven months at the River Cafe. I know some stuff from there for sure. I probably learnt more about the River Cafe working at fifteen. Yes, with River Cafe staff than the River Cafe itself. God, that's super interesting. But you've done a lot of things, right? You've done, you've been obviously a chef for a long time. You've run restaurants. You've owned restaurants. You've done. Uh, TV, brands. yeah, you've done, um, you know, different food programs, you've done, um, I've heard your radio interviews, you've done your own books, um, four books, five books, five books? Five. Do you have a preference for what you like to do, or does that ebb and flow with how you're feeling in that period of time in your life? I like to do, as I get older, I just want to do things I want to do, mm. and, um, so I, I did a job last year yep. and, and that was cool. It mm-hmm. was great. But then I'm comfortable now thinking I had that part of me we spoke of before, which doesn't give up and just wants to make it wants work. Wants to make it work. Yeah. And then I had just the other part forward, that, yeah. that kicked in and was like, okay, this probably isn't what you want to do. So, mm. so let's pull back. And the mm-hmm. minute I started working on what I want to do, which is um, food ranges and creating things. So what I, the reason I want to do a food range is because I want to, basically I came up with the idea to do a food range six years ago. And okay. I went to manufacturers mm-hmm. and got some samples made mm-hmm. and took them to the supermarket and they said, this is too expensive for us to buy. Okay. And so generally with the supermarkets, most of them, if you sell it to them for four, they charge eight. That's as simple as that. Of and course. so eight also is a premium meal in, yes. a, in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. And my mentor is um, a guy that started a business called 5AM mm-hmm. and he's very chilled. He's into yoga and <laughs> as I am and we're kind of similar in a lot of ways. And he always said to me with a food brand, you need to get one client to keep it simple. And if you can get a Woolies or a Coles, you get scale immediately. Yeah, okay. So there's Woolies in this country has got close to 900 supermarkets. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and if you sell 10 a week mm-hmm. of each, which, which is about the number you need to do to stay on the shelf, it's okay. actually, I thought it would be more than that. I thought it would be more than that as well. Not that much. Well, it depends on what it is. Like, sure. But, the but I area, suppose that's 9,000 units, right? It's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. And, and uh, so if you sell 9,000 of something in a week, you're doing okay. Yeah, so, okay. Um, but yeah, I remember anyway, so I've got the product and they're yes. like, okay, it's too expensive uh-huh. for what you want to sell it to us for. We need to charge this and we can't do that. So you need to make it cheaper. So I remember going back to the manufacturer and saying, got a problem, love the product, but it needs to be cheaper. How do we do that? And the guy looked at me and said, but you're not putting, you're not plumping at all. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? So <laughs> you're about to be horrified. Okay. So I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you're selling 300 grams of food. And I was like, yeah, because it's a 300 gram food. It's 300 gram container. That's yes. what it weighs. Yes. Now you need to sell like 200 grams of food and 100 grams of water. So, oh, right. so okay. then I was like, no way. So mm. then I went to the supermarket and mm. started buying up all this product and took it home and just emptying it out, not heated, to see what the water content is. Surely enough, there all this water just starts pissing out of everything wow. when it's not mixed up or yeah, wow. um, soup splitting or you know, whatever it was. And then I started speaking to a butcher friend who's like, yes, the poultry is the same. So a one kilo chicken or say a 1.3, 1.4 kilo bird you're going to buy from a supermarket, it's probably actually 900 grams and yeah, they're injecting with saline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with like salt solution, brine mm-hmm. to pump mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. And so this happens and that's the profit. That's your profit right there is water. Yes. And that did not sit well with me. Yeah. And I felt like it's um, dishonest. Mm-hmm. it's taking the piss it's yep. lying and it's not so I kind of put this mission on myself 
which I'll do to the day I die, totally, hopefully I get to do it, <laughs> but um, is, is that we can sell 300 grams of food. And so how do we make that work without additives, preservatives, and supporting local farms and what have you? Yeah. So this is something, um, after we stop working together, I've just been working on. Yeah. And we're starting to get close. Like, I've, I've worked out how we can do it. Amazing. And we can do it. Mm-hmm. Now we've just got to get the supermarket to jump on, which is looking like it'll, you know, hopefully be... It'll happen. Cool, man. Um, well yeah, so for me, once again, it's not about making money with that. Mm. Although we... Hopefully, we need to. Hopefully we we need to. We've got mm-hmm. mouths to feed. But it's more about setting a stand to other people that we can do this. Yes. Like, we, we, you can do this. You can make it work. Because that's like a... Uh, it's a trade standard now, is that you plump. It's a bad trade standard. Well, it's not. Mm. It's not honest. Mm. And the food shit anyway. It's, like, not nice. Well, it changes it's, the flavour. It changes the whole flavour of it. As well. It may taste watered down. Yes. <laughs> <Sean's> like, <'cause laughs> no joke. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, they're the things that make me really happy working on those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I like doing, um, like, I probably wouldn't do TV again unless it was properly educational and for a purpose. Okay. okay. And uh, stuff like that. Why is that? Uh, I just, look, I did the reality thing for a little while. Yeah. And um, it's cool and it's, it's entertainment. But sure. But it's not real. It's yes. make-believe. Yes. It's, it's um, manufactured to get ratings mm. so I, I just want to do things I'm comfortable with you know good for you mm. so what's so what's next for you you're doing some podcasts I know you, you obviously you're obviously big over YouTube and your Instagram is exceptional yeah the YouTube we um, is just kind of cruises along that's good doesn't feed the family but I actually enjoy doing it yeah. and do you know what I like about a lot of that stuff is you get to communicate directly with people I remember when I started a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and I I said to Jamie because Jamie called me up one day and he's like oh man YouTube we're all going to hop on that that's what we're going to do and um, I've got a couple of other guys and we're all going to do channels and oh umbrella and he did um, Jamie Oliver's YouTube network which was pretty successful for a while but I think he was expecting us to take over television, mm-hmm. which it has with younger generations, mm-hmm. but not the generation we had engaged for YouTube. So right, he was probably okay. a bit of an early adopter for it. Yep. And, um, but the cool, I remember Jay saying to me, I was like, so what do I put on the channel? And like, how do I, like, what do you think? And he was like, just start doing shit. The people will tell you Absolutely. what, they, what want. they want to say. And they, they do, like, yes. in, in many ways. Is that hard? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I wasn't. Um, you weren't ready for the feedback? Yeah, because a lot of them, feedback. a lot of them, it's very blunt, and there's yeah. no, it's it's in text, so yes. there's no there's feeling no con- behind yeah, it. There's no yeah. context to it. Yeah, like some people go, "Your cooking is so shit, you should die," and <laughs> right. they would write like horrible things, oh, and yeah. sort of I'm sitting there like, <laughs> and yeah. but then I guess it toughens you up, and you just learn to move on. I remember saying to Jamie, like uh, I put a risotto recipe on there. I've been doing risotto for so many years, and I think I do it right. I've worked with good people yeah. who have taught me and some persons like corrected me like very harshly and I was like how do you because at this stage I was part of Jamie's FooTube network and yeah, I, I didn't yeah. want to go in and start dropping F-bombs or anything <laughs> yes. like that and, and um, taking his name down or anything so I was like how do I deal with this and he was like oh dude I would just go on to the what is it the Rosario Academy of Italy or whatever it is which is very official mm. and send them a link Mm-hmm. to like the method they do and so yeah. his method is which is what I do now to shut them down <laughs> if you believe in it shut them down with knowledge yeah yeah of not, course not nastiness yeah 
good idea. So what's in you mentioned WhatsApp for me mm. moving forward? Food brand's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm working on my own food brand and helping somebody else with another food brand, which I can't talk about too Amazing. much. But it's vegan. Both are vegan. Cool. Um, is that where you're going now? Because I've not, you've obviously done a vegan cookbook as well. Like, is that is that where well, you want well, to go into? The reason we got to vegan in the first place was because. So I did a food brand about six years ago called Made, funnily yes. enough, by yeah. Toby Puddock, and it yes. was all, and I was actually still in the kitchen when I started to develop this, and it was all things like also bulgogi, braised meats and stuff put into cryback bags. Yes. And so it was cooked, and you take it home and reheat it in simmering water. And cool. so I came up with this range of about 20 things, mm-hmm. vegetables, meats, all sorts of stuff. Amazing. And you could mix and match. So mm-hmm. you could, but David Jones took it on, and they were selling for like 20 bucks for a single serve piece of 300 grams of meat or something so we got priced out of the market pretty quick Um, but what I did learn from that is that the market can't afford with all the markups that happen with transport and retail you can't you can't use good product Mm. it's a massive barrier isn't it yeah Mm. you can't you can't sell them good food Mm. but they the supermarket can't afford it Mm. So basically, that's how I came to vegan product. Was like, okay, we can do cool things with vegetables, yes. and um, and suddenly you've got a lack of shelf life issues as well. Yeah, so true. obviously, meat is a ticking time bomb. Mm-hmm. We actually worked out though how to get about four months out of a also cool city there wow, really? through pasteurization, no additives, and using. I met this cool person who was teaching me how to use natural acids and alkalines within vegetables to stabilize meat products in. Uh, with the removal of air, wow, for like up to yeah four months and How so cool. refrigerated. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool. very cool. Um, so yeah, moving forward, brother. Mm. Um, for me, it's mainly food brand. Working on this other brand, mm-hmm. always work with Pram Market. Yep. Um, and to be honest, that will be enough for me. I always have these other things popping up, like yep. I'm traveling and cooking and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. that's a yeah, that's it. And I just want to hang with my family, really. I have no aspiration to make a billion dollars. I just want to be happy. Yeah. And just, yeah. That, and that happiness will change with different projects along the way. So yeah. that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Last question for you. Um, what's your favourite thing to cook at the moment? I've been cooking a lot of Japanese food recently. How did that come um, about? I go to Japan every year. Okay. So I go snowboarding. Good snowboarding, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always... I think... Japanese food, and I was talking to a Japanese chef the other day, mm-hmm. who's Michelin star Japanese, and I, lo- I love with our careers, the people you meet, yes. and a lot of the time, I, I think when I was younger, I was probably a bit arrogant, and would judge books by their covers, and mm. what have you, and like, I met this guy the other day, he looked like a shabby sort, down the market, and he's, I got talking with him, and he's 55 or something, mm. and the freaking career this guy's had, is like the level of his knowledge is insane. Yes. And we were talking about the similarities between Japanese and Italian food. Yes. And there we find them both very, very similar. Obviously both work with noodles and yeah, raw and raw products, like raw fish. We have capacho and we have sashimi. But both um, cuisines are very much about taking a very simple ingredient and mm. doing as little to it as possible mm-hmm. and showcasing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both very, very similar. But I love Japanese food. So I've been cooking at home a lot and researching that okay and um which is cool yeah. i love it do you have a favorite dish that you're cooking or you not just, really just <laughs> across and the also right szechuan now. cooking i've been um really? like playing with that a lot so i'm really into chili i love chili yeah um, i bought you some chili it's today. beautiful chili today yeah i'm very impressed just, i just like learning and that's what i love about cooking and i think i'm um 
I learn way, I actually cook way more now than when I was executive chef of restaurants, for sure, hands down. Is that because you see a difference in what cooking can provide you now? No, because when you're running big kitchens, you're in a clipboard and computer most of the time. Yeah. I don't have any of that responsibility now. So I, I mean, my job really is recipe development these days. So I do it for big companies, small companies, parameter market, all sorts of stuff. So I'm just at home cooking. So it's just creativity all the time, all the time right? Fucking love it. Yeah, cool. So good. <laughs> Couldn't um, want anything more. Toby, thank you so much for your time today. I know that... Um, I didn't let you get a word in on your own podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way it should be on a good podcast. Um, I know that most people will know who you are and, and where to find you, but what's what's the best place for people to find you? Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I like, once again, we seeing in pictures. Yes. And so Instagram and my website. Cool. Yeah. I'll make sure I link this up in the bio. Thank the you so Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Toby. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Open Pantry Podcast for this session. Uh, it was fantastic to have Toby on and just speak so freely about the career he's had, uh, the ups, the downs, the challenges he's had, but he's just come out the other end and he's just an exceptional person with obviously exceptional talent. So it was just great. I thank him so much for being part of the podcast. Uh, as I said at the start, please subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review. I love to know what the feedback is. And uh, until next time, it'll be another great guest. Take care.